welcome to the Coronation Conversations podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwe Egrim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will steer these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. In this episode, we will be dissecting how businesses fared during the peak of the pandemic last year. And the topic of our conversation is from crisis to confidence. My guest today is an industry expert within the manufacturing and fast-moving consumer goods industry, Suramidayo George. Suramidayo George is the Director of Corporate Affairs and Sustainable Business Unilever West Africa and the Chairman of the UN Global Compact Local Network in Nigeria. She has extensive experience in sustainable business and development, corporate social responsibility, corporate communications, external relations and policy advocacy. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Mrs. George. Thank you very much for having me. In early 2020, the coronavirus pandemic struck without warning, resulting in an economic downturn across economies around the globe, Nigeria inclusive. This had a huge impact on the business environment, and most businesses were forced to go into survival mode as they navigated new economic realities. This episode will focus on how specific businesses in the manufacturing sector modeled through and their respective views on the current business climate as well as consumption patterns. So my first question is this, COVID-19 containment efforts employed in the country and across the globe resulted in most businesses shutting down. How did the restrictions aimed at arresting the spread of the virus impact operations? Well, um, thank you for that question. And um, um, first, I'll say that it's been a, an extremely challenging time um, for businesses um, across the globe and in Nigeria, inclusive, um, in the last couple of years. Um, one of the first things that I would say is that um, you have to give uh, the private sector a lot of uh, you know, kudos for being able to navigate the challenges. And um, whilst we saw that some didn't survive and some businesses didn't survive the challenges, um, we still have a number of um, businesses that have tried and have been able to build the internal resilience um, to be able to then um, surmount those challenges and go on to um, experiencing some level of growth. Um, The lockdown, that we experienced um, um, did help. Um, I think um, if you remember, um, right in the middle of, uh, right at the very beginning, there was a lot of, um, you know, speculations and, um, you know, even the medical world was basically trying to find answers to how to stop the rate of transmission. And from what we discovered from science, I mean, the easiest way that to stop transmission without any kind of um, medication or vaccine and to help um, spread that transmission was to make sure that um, we had adequate um, um, protection um, for one another, you know, um, as communities and as individuals um, in our respective ways. Um, And so 
the, the most um, appropriate thing to do at that time was to restrict movement as much as possible. Um, and I think that helped um, initially um, to a very large extent. Um, obviously, we had different um, rates and different levels of restrictions in different countries across the world. I mean, Nigeria, we also had a lockdown, um, which also, you know, um, was a little bit um, challenging, was challenging um, for a lot of businesses and a lot of people in the country. But it helped in order to get one, the awareness out there as to how we should conduct ourselves and the kind of COVID protocols that we should have in place. Um, it also helped in terms of, um, you know, um, sort of like um, reducing the rate of transmission because I believe that would have been far worse than it was. For, for, so for the industry, um, that shutdown was was difficult and was challenging, but I think the most important thing was that we worked hand in hand with the government to make sure that to a large extent, we did not completely destroy the economy or destroy businesses as it were, as we could definitely, I mean, as we, 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 um, we could, as, as much as we could at that time. So a lot of work was done collaboratively between the private sector and, and, and the government to make sure that there was controlled movement and there was adequate protocols in place for businesses that, that were allowed to carry on um, conducting, um, you know, some kind of skeletal um, operations at that time. And I think that helped a lot because you then saw um, some industries that fell under, um, you know, um, a sector where they were manufacturing um, goods and goods that were needed to fight the pandemic. Um, there were services that were required. And so a lot of um, businesses still had to operate. So the shutdown came um, with um, a lot of um, you know, guidance from the government, from the medical, um, from, from the medical um, personnel all across the country who were working together and were at the front line. And it helped us to have those protocols that were in place that helped us to have some level of business continuity. So whilst we lost a lot of uh, businesses, um, um, we would say that uh, lives were saved and we still had some level of business continuity that um, didn't completely destroy the economy. And we've seen that um, economy coming back slowly as it were. So this was our experience during the lockdown. And I think um, it was necessary at that time. And wherever it is necessary for us to have restrictions in place, um, with the kind of guidelines that we had and um, working collaboratively um, to make sure that, um, you know, um, all is not lost. I think we would always be welcome. Thank you so much for that. I think the next thing I'm going to ask is this, how has FX liquidity, especially when this seemed relatively tight in 2020, um, affected ability to finance import bills for raw materials as well as parts of the maintenance of plants and machinery? Okay, um, first, um, we understand the issues that are liquidity in the country. Um, and we also know that there have been concerted efforts by the government in putting in place a lot of measures to address these challenges that we face. 
obviously it's a challenge of um, supply and you know where we have we don't have as much supply of um, FX revenue as we should have um, but I think for me what I would just say in summary is that the, um, whilst um, we have seen some concessions for FX to be given for the importation of um, um, machinery right and um, machinery in the country um, we've also seen um, also seen um, situation whereby um, FX is also available for some raw materials which you do not find readily available in the country um, we've also seen you know the private sector then rise up to the occasion in devising um, ways and means in which to remain um, liquid when it comes to um, the need to have an um, FX for them to carry on their business. And some of the things that we've seen is that, you know, there's been a lot of um, 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 movement towards having, doing more exports to be able to generate um, foreign revenue um, and in this regard, and so that we have supply of FX to be able to meet our needs you find out that a lot of companies are, are having strategies in place and, you know, working towards and being FX neutral, a position whereby they're able to supply their own FX and to be able to meet their own needs. Um, what we also found within the um, private sector is a lot of onshoring of um, imports where we have competitive advantage. So you see a lot of backward integration, localization being done, and for where the, we have raw materials that are readily available or that are available in country and we can then even um, put in more investment to be able to make it um, available enough for industrial use. So there's a lot of efforts going into that and investment going into making sure that this um, locally available raw materials are in the right form and in the right quality you know, for use, for industrial use. Obviously, in, in some respect, you'll find out that that work is, is, is very much in progress and it will take time um, to be able to land the kind of supply that we, 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 we need. Um, but I think these are the strategies that we've seen um, come in place um, with, the leaders, with the support that we've gotten from the, um, from the um, central bank and the um, federal government. And so all those concerted efforts are things that you see playing out, you know, in, in a situation where you have a squeeze on um, liquidity, affects liquidity. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to tilt towards the demand side now. Uh, the consumer has seen, or the average consumer in Nigeria has seen little respite from inflationary pressures. Cost of living has increased and some consumers have had to be arrange their spending priorities. Now, given that consumer wallets are under pressure, how can companies within the manufacturing industry navigate the current state of soft demand? Well, I think what we've seen is a lot of downtrading. So where you have a challenge with disposable incomes, you know, people have just downtraded um, and you have to, as a business, you have to understand the challenges that your consumers are facing. Um, consumer is king, we say. So oftentimes we 
we ensure that we have enough insight into what their needs are and into how we can satisfy those needs. Um, so again, it's about um, shaping our operations in a way that we can best um, address those um, areas of, of need and where the demand is coming from. There is demand, but however, the demand um, you know, is seen in the form of down-trading because the disposable incomes are, are not as high as we had it. So again, it's about, uh, um, for us, I think it's about making um, goods affordable you know, for consumers um, where the disposable income is not there. But making those goods affordable for them in a way that they would ordinarily be able to have it if they had more income in affordable, at affordable prices with the right packaging and size and at the very best quality and meeting them at the point of their needs in areas where they need it and at the time where they need it most. So this is all about, um, you know, um, so the, the, the demand is still there in another form, in a, in a different way. And it's um, left for industry to understand in what form and in which way. Um, Nigeria is huge, 200 million population. Um, um, and so it's also to understand um, where those demands are coming from. You know, are they buying more food? Um, are they buying less of home care um, products? And if they're buying less of home care products, um, you know, um, how do you then quickly be more flexible to do more food and meet them in the area of foods? Um, the challenge is when the when companies are, are focused on just one line of um, of production, um, and in that line, it's also to be able to be quick to innovations to understand. I've seen companies, you know, large corporates who have divested, uh, companies who have been, you know, a particular company that I know, and I'm not going to mention names, who um, used to be in the beverage industry and have really, during the um, pandemic, you know, went into hygiene products, um, have developed a different line. The agility um, to be able to do that is very important, to be able to quickly, you know, move to where the demand is coming from and provide the consumers with what they need at the price they need it, you know, um, is very, very important. And I think this is what we've seen um, happen. Um, the businesses that have been flexible, that have been agile, are the ones that have been most resistant and have developed that resilience to be able to adapt, quickly adapt to what we see um, changing in the economy and consumer and demands and, and requirements. And so this is what uh, is evolving at a, at a very rapid rate. Mm, that's very interesting to note, flexibility and agility. I think that's also the concept of pivoting. It's very interesting to note. Um, so the next question is around national accounts. Now, based on the national accounts released by the Bureau of Statistics, the manufacturing sector has posted growth at least twice in 2021. However, when we look at the headline readings of the Purchasing Managers Index released into the financial market, headline reading is yet to hit the healthy zone of about 55. From your vantage point, is the manufacturing sector really in a recovery path? I would say yes right now. Um, but you're right, we're not yet there. So if you're talking about the, you know, um, the stability of 
of our balance sheet, of the stability of our profitability uh, and, and um, you know, or the stability of the growth, kind of growth um, that we're looking for, you know, the, we were not yet there. So it's, it's still very much on shaky ground. Hence the, the need for us to make sure that um, we're ready for any kind of disruption that may occur and we're able to um, um, make sure that we have the kind of structure, the systems, the processes, you know, the portfolio to be able to um, to quickly adapt to any kind of disruptions. We can't afford it right now. So, but I would say that now we're all on, a, well, most of us are on the path to recovery. Um, there's been a lot of work, you know, a lot of work that has been done in terms of, you know, um, um, how the private sector, how the manufacturing sector can get back to growth. Um, the first thing that I would say, even though it's a soft issue, is to have the missing air of, of, of government. You know, this is a government-enabled environment where, you know, government is king. So us being able to have the listening air is very, very important. And us being able to sit at a table with them to tell them about our challenges and then they come up with how they can um, help us and create that enabling environment is also very key. And I think that's what we've seen so that kind of support from um, an industry perspective, uh, being led, of course, oftentimes by um, trade associations. You will even find out that, um, you know, uh, business associations that are coming from, um, you know, different host countries that have companies that are doing business here in Nigeria are also very much involved in this um, collaborations and conversations that we're having. Yes, we are seeing a steady recovery, um, you know, um, but I would say, like you have rightly noted, we're not there yet, and um, um, we can't afford any kind of destruction. So we have heard the pronouncements of um, the government about the fourth week, um, what we can't afford to see a lockdown and, and further restrictions on trade and industry. Um, that would be really disabilitating. And it would be it would be good if we could all you know again um, just mobilize people to have to get be vaccinated to make sure that we're maintaining all COVID protocols so that we do not see that that surge that would um, then um, sort of like um, get the government to um, impose another lockdown. We don't want that right now. We can't afford that. Um, so yes, now we're seeing a steady. Um, steady recovery, but um, we can't beat our chest and say that um, this recovery is um, is going to be consistent, is uh, stable um, um, yet. Okay, thank you so much for that. Now, the pandemic brought with it an increase in the national unemployment rate, which went from 27% to 33% between the second quarter of 2020 and Q4 2020. What impact did this have on workforce in your company and across the manufacturing sector? Well, I think that, yes, um, we lost uh, we lost some businesses, um, you know, um, with this pandemic, we've lost businesses um, that are folded up. Um, and I think we've spoken extensively to what we've seen with the companies that have been stayed on in terms of the agility, the flexibility, the ability to adapt. 
and we've spoken about examples of companies. Whilst I had mentioned uh, large companies, I, I also know of a lot of uh, small companies, you know, and that have also quickly adapted to the changes that they've seen in the environment and survived. But then we lost, uh, we got um, a lot of, um, we had a lot of job losses within the manufacturing sector. For us um, in Unilever, I think that wasn't uh, the issue. So the issue wasn't, uh, it wasn't um, as a result of uh, a pandemic. It was more attrition came from more from migration, you know, migration employees who migrated to Canada and in the more recent times to the UK. And the attrition and the migration, which is not only peculiar to Unilever, but it's, uh, across the board, a lot of other companies have been experiencing that. Um, so if you dig deep into why people are leaving, it's just about the uncertainty about the future um, in the country. Um, um, so a lot of the exit interviews that we've conducted, not necessarily arising from the operations, the operations of uh, businesses or of our business in particular, or more about uncertainty about where the country is heading. And I think that's something that we all have to be able to um, create a platform where we're then addressing um, these issues and seeing how we can further stem the tide of, um, you know, um, um, skilled labor um, that is required for us to grow um, in the industry and as a nation. Okay. That's the brain drain is still um, on the rise. Well, now, what, what, what are your thoughts around the impact of insecurity and epileptic power supply on the manufacturing sector? Mm. Insecurity is a huge challenge for us um, from two angles. One from, you know, distribution um, of goods across the country. Um, we operate across Nigeria. Um, even within a state, you find out it's very challenging. Security has become a huge challenge. Um, and what we've seen is a um, rising investment from businesses themselves who have then began to address those issues of um, um, insecurity. So cost of operations have, have gone up as a result of that. So, but even more um, worrisome is the insecurity for um, um, with respect to employee safety. So um, we have to make sure that our employees are looked after and that they're secure. And so this has um, also sort of affected the way that we do business. So you see a more, more um, digital way of, of interacting, less mobility across states. Um, making sure that we're investing in the right kind of security for our trucks that are moving from one state to the other state. So insecurity is a huge challenge. And um, um, I think we got insight recently into the fact that um, it's been tackled. Um, so it's been tackled and we hope that um, it will be something that we will completely, I would like to say, eradicate. Um, that is um, an audacious vision, but I would like to say we should eradicate it completely. Um, so this is where we are. Um, insecurity is definitely a huge challenge for us. I would like to see how we can create more conversations around it and see how you know it can be taken away. Very um, disappointing. I completely agree with you. Eradicating that would go a long way. So from your vantage point, are there any positive 
effects or lessons from this pandemic? Oh, wow, yeah, a lot. Um, I think that um, it's important. Now we all know that um, we must be ready for crisis. And I think that is one huge big lesson that has come out of it. Um, we can't take it for granted that there will be further disruptions that would be so um, bad as we have experienced it. And I think one thing that we had going for us in Dini is that we always had an incident management team that was on ground and in place. So we had had the level of challenges that um, were related to insecurity and issues before. And we always had a team on ground. And so that quickly kicked into place. And so lessons were learned around, you know, employee well-being, how to win, make sure that our employees are safe and sound and well, you know, their well-being became very uppermost in our minds. Um, the issue of security, right, um, became also very prevalent. So and our conversations around what was happening during the pandemic was always well-being, security, business continuity, and making sure that supply issues were resolved, demand issues were resolved, we're looking at community as well, um, also looking out for communities and operating communities and making sure that um, every single thing was being looked into. So the big lesson is that um, we need to build a resilient organization, right? We need to be ready for further disruptions. We need to build that organization people and systems that can be agile, that can adapt quickly to any change change that we find out, find in our environment and that has enough creativity um, in, in place to be able to throw out any kind of innovations that we would need in order to ensure that business continues. Um, the other thing is also making sure that we have a, um, you know, a, a very robust stakeholder um, map, a stakeholder engagement map, where we understand different players that we need to be in touch with and how we can be in touch with them when there's a, a crisis in place. Um, we need to understand the kind of resources that we would need in a crisis situation and how we can draw from, from, from the resources um, that we need to be able to quickly adapt and make, just putting our eyes on the future and keeping, uh, uh, you know, um, keeping our ears down to the ground. Research at this time, insight is very important. Understanding the trends are extremely important. Not only consumer trends, <laughs> but all sorts of trends in, in, in areas of whether it's climate change, you know, whether it's in the medical field, you know, um, so many kind of things that we have to put together just to understand what are the potential destructions that we might be facing. So um, huge lessons, and I think it's a lesson that makes us future fit, fit for the future, building an organization that is fit for the future, an organization that is resilient, one that quickly adapts, and, and building, you know, um, a team and a talent that is also future fit. Um, so the kind of requirements that we need as employees is different now, you know, um, than it was two years ago, you understand? So those are the kind of things that we've learned. Um, um, and a lot of lessons learned, and I think it's lessons that we've learned that will make us future fit. 
Well, I completely agree. I like what you said about research and trend analysis across different sectors. So my final question for you is, what is your forward-thinking view with regards to business activity within the manufacturing industry and its potential impact on economic growth and development in the short to medium term? Oh, um, I think that um, one, the first thing is that manufacturing is critical for growth. It is critical for um, for development and it's critical for job creations. And when I'm talking manufacturing, oftentimes people look to the companies for jobs and job creations. No, there's a whole value chain, a whole extensive value chain, you know, that feeds in and feeds out of, you know, this manufacturing and companies and manufacturing industry that can be developed to be able to absorb the kind of jobs that we want created. So if we're looking at business activities within the industry, I think um, the view is for us now is that one, the first thing is that we must get the enabling environment right, some level of stability, at least in our enabling environment, um, whether it has to do with fiscal policies, whether it has to do with the issue of resolving the security challenges that we face, you know, we have to have, whether it has to do with infrastructure, there must be concerted efforts to be able to do more in that respect. We have the opinion that, you know, Nigeria is the place to be. We're completely vested and committed to the socioeconomic development of this country and to the growth of this country. And we believe that um, manufacturing, you know, is key. Manufacturing is key, whether you look at it from sourcing to consumption. Um, manufacturing is key to the kind of living standards that we want. Manufacturing is key to innovation. And, you know, again, like I said, um, improve living standards. When you have um, consumers who have middle disposable income, manufacturing must be able to quickly adapt to be able to provide them with the kind of living standard that you know is affordable and within their means. So manufacturing is king and is key, you know, to to us also us being having that competitive positioning on the on the world stage and in the African continent. And you know, we talk about Nigeria and its positioning. So um, I would say um, from a positive point of view, the future is bright as long as we understand what the requirements of being future fit is. And some of the things that I have said um, in being future fit includes understanding that disruptions are here to stay, right? And building that organization that is, um, you know, resilient, agile, um, ability to adapt, be flexible, um, building the talent that is also future fit understanding what the trends are, like you said, across sectors, you know, uh, and being able to draw insights to to drive development um, from within the private sector, from within businesses. And I think we also require more from the public sector in understanding, you know, um, um, the way businesses operate or the way businesses should operate. But without a shadow of doubt, the impact that we can have on 
economic growth and development in the short term or medium term is huge as long as we dot the I's and we cross the T's and everything is in place to a large extent, not completely, of course. And we can't have it all, I think. <laughs> so that would be it. <laughs> I know I've said a lot of things, but I hope I've been able to put it in a, in some perspective. Oh, no. That, that was amazing. Um, be understood. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. That was an amazing response. Thank you so, so much for accepting our invitation to share from your extensive bank of knowledge. I completely enjoyed our conversation. I did as well. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Um, once again, it's been a pleasure. for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received and don't forget to share the coronation conversations across your network. You can listen to our pod series by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM. 